in the present, and the present is a blessing and also sometimes a bit of a burden. So we've, over the last few weeks, begun to take a bit of a respite from the present and in our Foundations of the Faith series uh, have begun to take a little bit of a glimpse into the future. And so we began a few weeks ago by pointing out this first prominent peak in God's future prophetic mountain range. We called it the rapture. If you're a Christian, it concerns you. If you're still here uh, and do not pass to be with the Lord naturally, do not worry. The only other option, and it's a good one, is for you to be caught up by his doing so as to meet the Lord in the air uh, and thus to be forever with him. And then after the rapture, we began to point out this next event immediately after the rapture uh, called the Judgment Seat of Christ. And this is a place where uh, for Christians, there will be the dissemination of rewards. And so we are saved for sure, freely, not by works, but we are saved for the doing of good works. And if the truth be told, we're not all working the same. Some of us are working sacrificially, faithfully, and making use of the gifts God has given, and others are kind of spinning their wheels. And so at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be surely this distinction and rewards will be disseminated by the ultimate judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, not with respect to salvation. That matter has been settled uh, by his doing and our faith in his provision. But this concerns rewards contingent upon how we conducted ourselves as saved people. And so the judgment seat of Christ is what we began to speak about uh, last week, and we'll continue tonight. I mentioned to you that this is a place where uh, rewards will be disseminated, and therefore we ought to be serving in light of rewards to be received. But even as I say that, it's a little uncomfortable uh, because it sounds like that motivation ought not be ours. We should not you might be thinking, serve the Lord simply in light of the potential to receive rewards from him. That sounds self-serving, but not exactly uh, if you pay attention to the nature of the rewards to be received. Uh, these are not trophy pieces, nor emblems, nor plaques to put on a wall. No, really, they're actually opportunities. Uh, the rewards are opportunities to be given us by the Lord Jesus Christ to make use of throughout eternity, and they are opportunities to do two things, and here they are, uh, to honor the Lord and to serve the Lord. So let's talk about the first opportunity first. When Paul uh, wrote... Uh, much of what he wrote in the New Testament, and we'll draw on some of his words in a little while, uh, there existed, uh, both in ancient Greece and Rome, marvelous stadiums uh, wherein athletic contests, as you know, took place. 
And uh, this kind of competition uh, was very popular in that day, as it is even today. And the winner in those contests would be awarded something, a, a crown of sorts, and it would be called Stephanos. Stephanos, that's the Greek word uh, for the crown, which would be awarded to the winner in the games. If your name is Stephen, by the way, uh, that's a good name. It means crown. Stephanos. It, it was a laurel wreath, and it was presented to the winner of the race uh, by the one judging from a high and lifted up special raised platform, a seat, which we referred to last week as the Bema seat. And so this judge had a clear and unobstructed view uh, with regard to the performance of the participants in the race. And so he could, uh, quite objectively, place this Stephanos, this laurel wreath, upon the head of the winner. Well, it's just a laurel wreath, and so, uh, as you know, it didn't possess any inherent value. So why was it such a sought-after prize uh, by the competitors? Its value uh, resided in the fact that your performance delighted the judge by running the race so as to win, by winning the race, and by receiving this crown, this Stephanos, you could wear it as an indication of the fact you performed up to the expectations of the judge. And he pronounced his delight in the way you conducted yourself in this symbol known as the laurel wreath. Now, I elongate all that explanation because interestingly, uh, that same word Stephanos is the the word used in every single occurrence of the word crown in the New Testament, except when the word for crown is diadem. Uh, that's the crown uh, which belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he presents crowns for good performance to believers who ran the race well, it's always called Stephanos. And so we ought to seek the crown because it's a symbol of the fact that the way we lived out our lives as redeemed people delighted the ultimate judge who is evaluating us uh, from his high and lifted up Bema seat from which he has an absolutely unobstructed view. So I want to tell you briefly about some of the crowns with which you're probably familiar and which are listed in the New Testament. Here's one, for instance, we read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And here Paul is writing, everyone, says he, who competes in the games, you see, so he's using this athletic analogy, exercises self-control in all things. Uh, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, Stephanos, but we an imperishable. 
And so Paul is using the example of those finely tuned athletes who long before the actual time of the competition so disciplined themselves that when it came time to perform, they would surely do it in a victorious way. And Paul is using this metaphor so as to point out to us how much more should we, if these athletes say no to the flesh, if these athletes resist certain of the passions and pleasures of life, which would distract them from good performance in their race, so as to receive only a perishable wreath, how much more should we be willing to discipline the body, say no to the flesh, and enjoy some of the passing pleasures of life, so that we could receive that Stephanos, which is of an imperishable quality. Folks, it's not a bad idea to say no to the flesh at least once a day. <laughs> Practice it. No, thank you, I had enough. I'm working on it with regard to bluebell ice cream. No, thank you. It's hard even to get the words out. It's a good thing to stay in good spiritual shape so as not to be encumbered in running the race so that we can cross the finish line, you understand, figuratively speaking, to the delight of the ultimate judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, who could indicate his delight by uh, placing upon our head the Stephanos, which is of an imperishable quality. There's another crown spoken of in the Bible. Here it is, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? This second crown is one characterized by joy. Joy over not things acquired, but people. Joy over the fact that when this one who received the crown finds his way into the eternal city, the new Jerusalem, the bliss of being in the presence of the Lord Jesus forevermore, there he will find himself to be in the company of those very people to whom he extended the gospel message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He will rejoice because he will see the fruit of his evangelistic endeavors. So the crown of joy is given to those who have faithfully represented the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been living proof and whose lives have borne evangelistic fruit. And so if you in whole or even in part have contributed to people being saved, you have prayed for the lost, you have given gifts, of a financial kind uh, to support evangelistic and missionary endeavors. You yourself have labored in the field. You have boldly and faithfully shared the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you find out that there are people in heaven in whole or in part because of your efforts. You will receive this crown. It is the crown of rejoicing. And it is to be sought after. There's another one, a great crown. It's mentioned in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown, the Stephanos, 
of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This crown is given for persevering. This crown is given for enduring. This crown is given to those who have stayed under. Under what? Under trials and hardships, particularly for the cause of Christ. These are folks who, in faithfully representing and living for the Lord Jesus Christ, are faced with forks in the road. Go this way apart from Christ, or this way even closer to him. Even in the face of trials and hardships for the cause of Christ, these will be rewarded with the crown of life. Not the crown of eternal life. Oh, no, no. Uh, don't make any mistake about it. That is what you and I inherit for accepting the giver of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a different kind of reward. You already have the gift of eternal life through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this crown is a reward for enduring hardships brought about by living consistently and uncompromisingly for Christ. In fact, this crown is one of the rewards given to the one who's been called upon to give the ultimate sacrifice, that is to say, to forfeit his or her life for the cause of Christ. It's alluded to in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested. And you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you, there it is again, the crown of life. The Lord calls some of his witnesses, not all, some, to a degree of suffering and even martyrdom that he doesn't entrust to all of us but to those who roots, whose roots in the faith are run deep enough so that they can be entrusted with this extremity of sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, what awaits those is the crown of life. And there's still yet another crown which we read about in the Bible. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me, here it is, the crown, Stephanos, laurel wreath, reward of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, says Paul, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This crown is a reward for faithful stewardship of one's time here on earth. Faithful utilization of resources, time and money and gifting for the glory of God and for his service. This reward is given to those who live as if they're loving the appearing. They're not dreading it. They're not ignoring it. They're living as if they're in love with the reality of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they are, this reward is giving to Christians who are ordering their lives in light of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ could be around the corner 
It's the rapture of the church. And again, they're not sorry about it. They don't hesitate about it. Uh, they don't dread it. They don't have anything more important to do so that they would have him delay. No, these are ones who say, Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And because I believe you are and will, I am quickly going to be about the business of expanding the sphere of influence in this life for your glory. Those folks receive the crown of righteousness. There's another. It's mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Therefore, says Peter, I exhort the elders. In the New Testament, when you see the word elders, it is used synonymously with the word pastors. Therefore, I exhort the elders pastors among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet it as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, here it is, crown of glory. This is a special presentation, a special crown, a special reward to be offered to those under shepherds, Jesus is the chief shepherd, but in his absence, he has called and equipped under shepherds. Those are pastors, elders, ministers. Call them what you will and trusted with the watch care, the feeding, the nourishing, the protecting of the flock allotted to their charge. As an aside, I'm of the opinion that our under shepherd, our pastor, will receive that crown. And won't it be good to be there and watch it when it's rewarded? Decades of faithful service for the Lord's glory and for our well-being. He has pastored us well. I hope the rest of us as staff are following suit. Because a reward, the crown of glory, awaits the elders, the under-shepherds, the ministers, the pastors who have labored as described in that Peter text. Well... Crowns, rewards, here they are. We did a brief survey uh, of them. What do these crowns, what do these rewards have to do with my opening point? They are an opportunity to honor God. Here is the answer. Whoever receives one or more of these crowns now will have something to place at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ when they see him. I remember when our kids were little, we used to give them some coinage, not paper money, coinage before church so as to make the offering to the Lord. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. They didn't even ask for it. This was something their parents did because we wanted them to have something to offer the Lord Jesus Christ because there's joy in it and it's a shame not to have anything to honor him with. 
Can you see, therefore, that these rewards can be selflessly sought after because they're not about us parading our own virtue? No, they're opportunities to receive something so that we could lay it one day on coronation day at the Lord's feet. I think the scriptures say this. Look with me to Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, I think these are ones who represent old covenant, new covenant, 24 elders, they will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will, here we go, cast their crowns, Stephanoi, the plural of the word Stephanos. They will cast these crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. And I want to have something to offer the Lord on that day. I know I am saved by faith alone in Christ alone. I'm secure in it, sealed for eternity, based on the finished work of Christ. I have not contributed to salvation. I don't deserve it. He did it all from beginning to end. I don't doubt it. But I want to make sure on this occasion, I have lived sufficiently well as a saved person that the judge on the bema seat, the right hand of Almighty God, who has a clear and unobstructed view of how I have lived, I want to be able to receive one of these crowns so that on this particular day I could join with these 24 elders and lay a crown at the Lord's feet. I want something with which to honor him, and I know you do as well. So these crowns are ones, rewards, which can be legitimately pursued by us because they give us an opportunity to honor the King of Kings by casting our crowns at his feet on coronation day. Don't be there empty-handed. Live now so that the judge can justifiably at the judgment seat put a crown in your hand that you could give back to him on coronation day. So the rewards which we are to pursue and which will be disseminated at the judgment seat of Christ can in fact be pursued because they give us opportunities. First, honor God. And now secondly, they give us a greater opportunity to serve the king. Now you might say, serve the king? But serving doesn't sound very heavenly. Serving is sort of an obligation. Yes, we accept here. But heaven is that time of, uh, I don't know, inactivity. Sitting around at the harp concert of the angels. I don't know what our thinking is about heaven. Frankly, that isn't very heavenly. I'll tell you what's heavenly. When we can finally be in a perfect environment 
and render perfect service so that we could be perfectly satisfied. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ now, but it's tough. What do I mean? Time constraints. Opposition. Disagreements. Egos. Sickness. Limited resources. Competition. Opposition. So serving is challenged here. There are bumps along the road of service here. But God has implanted, I think you'll agree, in each of us this appetite to be useful, to do something useful. Nobody here, you know what I think? Nobody here will stay at this church until you have a sense of ownership into it. Until you can connect, not by being just patted on the back and greeted warmly at the door, but until you find a serving connection point so that your concept gets to be not their church, but my church. Serving is good for those you serve, but serving is better for the one who serves. It satisfies. It makes you feel useful. God surely doesn't need us. Come on. But God has implanted in us this desire to be useful. Isn't he good? He lets us be useful by giving us service. But as I say, all kinds of circumstances mitigate against our unobstructed service. It's challenged on every front in many ways. We get tired of one another. We don't like the bureaucracy of the church. Who knows what's going on? It's just the human stuff. But won't it be heavily? to be able to serve finally and forever in a perfect environment, in a perfect way, and so be perfectly satisfied forevermore. And so you can see, therefore, pursuing these kinds of rewards, an opportunity for greater capacity to honor God and an opportunity for a greater capacity to serve God is a very legitimate reward to seek after. Now, folks, I think service here is going to determine in some way the extent of our service there. I'll tell you where I get this. Matthew 25, for one place, verses 14 to 21, a parable, a story with a truth in it. Here it is, for it is just like a man, the, the kingdom of God. It's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Uh, to one who gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Each according to his own ability. And he went on a journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Uh, the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
Enter into the joy of your master. That's where I get this notion that service here will in some measure affect the extent to which the Lord will entrust satisfying service for us there. Faithfulness here with gifts and calling and time and talents and money and resources and all of that will beget an opportunity for more extensive service then. If we have not been faithful in smaller things here, then the Lord cannot entrust bigger things to us there. That's just a biblical principle. Should we work for this reward? Should we work for the privilege of having the Lord bequeath to us more extensive realms of service and authority in the eternal kingdom? Yeah, we should. It's a legitimate thing to seek to do. I tell you, as difficult and challenging and sometimes disheartening and even discouraging, sometimes even unrecognized is our service here. Don't stop because you're serving now the Lord Jesus Christ so that then you can serve him in an even more extensive way. Well, seeking rewards at the judgment seat. Rewards consisting of opportunities to more greatly honor the king and to more greatly serve the king is a very legitimate thing to seek after. It is a good thing to live now in such fashion that at the judgment seat, the ultimate judge will provide us with these crowns so that we could offer them back to him. There's a marvelous song as I was studying this text that popped into my head. And I think it reflects, I'm sure, what we all want to do and simply need to recommit and rededicate ourselves to do. It all has to do with living for Jesus. Mm. A life, you see, that is true. Striving to please him in all that we do. I want to ask you to stand with me because we'll make this our closing song of rededication and commitment to the wonderful adventure of living now for the Lord Jesus so that we can receive various crowns with which we can honor and serve him more then. And because I want this to be beautiful and leave a good taste in your mouth, I need help. <laughs> and so can I call upon my beautifully tanned brother <laughs> to come, John Mark, and lead us in this song, the words of which are before you. Would you make this your heart's desire and recommitment as we sing it together, please? Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please Him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. O oh, Jesus, 
us, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thy atonement didst give Thyself for me. I owe no other master, my heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. So my fellow legitimate crown seekers live in such fashion that at the judgment seat of Christ, we have no cause to be ashamed, but rather to receive gratefully from the King of Kings crowns with which we can honor him and serve him forevermore. God bless you, fellow servants of the King. Look forward to seeing you next time.